0: With you this morning in the name of Jesus. If you're a guest with us, I'm going to introduce myself because I don't usually do. Um, but I'm Jamie, I'm one of the lead pastors. Heidi and I pastor together, and uh, it's a privilege to serve you as pastors of Pullman Foursquare Church for almost 10 years. 10 years, January, February, March, and April. April will be our 10th anniversary. This is a big year for us as a family. This church will turn 40 years this June. Heidi and I will have been pastors 10 years this April of this church. We are married 20 years, February 26th. And then on February 7th was Emma's 18th birthday. It, it, it'll, it like This is a year of celebration, isn't it? Like... Often in our culture, it's midlife crisis time, right? How many of you surprised I don't own a Camaro now? Yeah, you should be. I'm like, I've thought about it, but my wife would kill me, and then you would only have one pastor, and you know, she's she's laughing, but she knows it's true. <laughs> I bought a new Camaro. Yeah, it wouldn't it would not be good, but it would be fair that it wasn't good. So we've been in a series. Can anybody remember the name of the series? I was fully giving you this answer for free. You didn't have to point out that it was there. Um, Better Together, a series on relationships. Because the truth is, we are better together, aren't we? As a family, a new family of Jesus, we are better together than we are alone. We can't be who God's called us to be all by ourselves. It's just like trying to have eggs without bacon. It's just something wrong with that, right? How many of you like eggs without bacon? There is something wrong with that. I like eggs, but with bacon, it's like, it's perfect. Or or pigs and pineapples. I mean, who doesn't put pig and pineapple together on pizza? I know that's that's controversial in our culture. So we've been talking uh, just really about relationships, about, we've been talking about marriage, and some people are like, eh, it's about marriage, but it's sort of about marriage. We're looking at marriage as, I'm looking for Jan, as the penultimate relationship, It's the relationship that's second to our ultimate relationship that we can look at and say, oh, that's how this other ultimate relationship is supposed to look. Our relationship with God is our ultimate relationship. So we're supposed to look to marriage as a model for what our relationship to God looks like. And as singles, people who are committed, lifelong singles, people who are temporary singles, people who are situationally single, you represent God well as al- also. And there's things that you get to learn in this process through this series on relationships. We've been, where have we been? We have been, the first week was seek God. Seek God. Seek your one, right? Seek your one with your two, whoever your two is. If your two is your wife, seek the one with your two first. Seek him first. And his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. You need, a, you need your bank account to grow. You need to work hard and to, you, to grow your finances. And you want God to work in those areas? Seek God, not the finances. If you want a blessed marriage, seek God, not a marriage counselor. Now, you do need a marriage counselor, but seek God in the process. Seek the one with your two, and all these things will be added. To you. That was the first. Last week, Heidi and I got to share and speak together. Was that pretty awesome? How many of you were here? It's really fun when Heidi and I do that together. It's a lot, well, I'll let you know it's a lot of work, so we don't do it super often. Um, it's a lot of work to try to put. It's like writing two sermons and then coming together and, and then hacking out a full sermon between the two of them. And so we had a lot to say last week about, so seek God. And then the second one was, remember? remember? Fighting fair. That's right. We learn how to fight fair. In the kingdom of Jesus, in the new family of Jesus, we do conflict differently. And a lot of people have said, I've heard like, that the the tool that we gave you was kind of wooden and difficult. Like it felt mechanical and hard because the tool was that we learned to speak from ourselves and we'd say, say something along the lines of like, I notice, not like you always, we say, I notice that you leave your dirty underwear on the floor and I value a clean house. That's the second one, right? I notice, I value, I value a clean house. I feel like, I value not feeling like I live in a pigsty. And that's the third one, feel. When the house isn't clean, I feel dirty. <laughs> I feel like, Ugh. And then the fourth one is I would prefer, right? I would prefer. And that's how we begin to negotiate our differences and our conflicts. And we learn to work with our enemies and to love them well because we're treating them as human beings. Now, I was, I've heard, and, I, and I've heard this like, many times in marriage counseling and in other cir- circumstances where we've talked about this, like, it's really wooden. I, I just can't do that. I, can't. I noticed, Marshall, and I pref- and it just feel so, ugh. You know what? When I was seven years old, somebody gave me a bicycle. And I got on that bicycle, and you know what I did? I fell right off of it. <laughs> and then you know what I did? I got back on it, and I pedaled a little ways down the street, and then I fell over, and then I scraped my knee. Can I tell you that riding a bicycle at seven years old felt very mechanical and very wooden and very difficult and very unnatural? When I was about two years old, I was crawling around on the floor and I found a coffee table. And I, with all my amazing muscle strength, pulled myself up and I stood up and I began to walk along the edge of the coffee table. Can I tell you, it did not feel natural to walk, but I did it over and over and over again. And guess what? I can almost walk as well as you. It's amazing. Look at me go. (laughs) This is only after like 44 years of experience, you know? (laughs) I can walk and a bicycle, I can get on and I can ride miles. And it feels totally natural. It's like riding a bike. That's what we say. You get off a bike for years and you get back on it. It's like riding a bike. It's like it's the only analogy we have for things that have just come easy after a while. Practice. Let me encourage you. Practice. Try. Use the skill. Try it. Let it be wooden and be okay. You'd be like, hey, Risto, um, can I practice with you on this thing? And you'd be like, yes. Let's make it very awkward, Jamie, because that's how Risto speaks. I'm totally making this up as I go. And so we, (laughs) no, I'm not, no, I'm not, that is how I speak, he's like, I was amazed, that was a very good impression of me. So that was last week, so Seek God, Fight Fair, next week we're going to talk about Stay Pure, and then the last one is going to be, uh, the, the the, the penultimate ending of this whole series will be Jan Busboom. And maybe if you're lucky, if you beg her, and if the sheep don't go crazy between now and then, Janice might even speak with him on never giving up, okay, never giving up. So we don't usually tell you, but Hyde and I will be on our 26th, or 20th wedding anniversary, the 26th, the 20th wedding anniversary trip celebrating that, so we won't be here that week. This week, though, guess what this week's subject is? Have fun. Did you just memorize that, or is it on your notes? It's on your notes. You cheated. Cheated, you cheated. Have fun. This week's message is have fun. There, I said it. I can go home now. I mean, you don't need much more than that, do you? <laughs> like, what can you say about having fun? It's it's not actually. Many of you are thinking, have fun. And I saw this in the bulletin: have fun. What? That is not a message that you hear at church, right? You you don't hear people say, hey. You need to have more fun in your life. You don't hear pastors preaching on this stuff. It's a little strange. And some of you are thinking something funny is going on around here. And I'm hoping so. That was a very punny joke. And I wrote it in here, and I was so excited about it. <laughs> and it fell absolutely flat. It's okay, it wasn't completely, yeah, she says, it wasn't completely bad. So, yeah, other people missed it. I said, some of you are saying that something funny is going on in this church. And I said, I hope so. See, that's kind of, anyway. If you have to explain it, oh, look, it's up here too. Have fun. You guys, I'm giving you all the answers today. So I'm just expecting all kinds of audience participation on this one. I I hope that you will anticipate a little bit of silly and a little bit of crazy as we talk about this. Because as I studied this this, uh, topic, I was shocked. Like, I went into it, so like five years ago, we did a very similar series to this, and this is like a second iteration of it, we've totally revamped it, but I asked Audrey Fontaine to preach, and I said, I'd like you and Kelly to take this topic on having fun, and they said, okay, and he comes back to me later, he goes, it's not in the Bible, how are we supposed to preach on this, what are we supposed to do, I'm like, guess what, it is in the Bible, I found it this week, I found it directly, it is directly in the Bible, he's like, I don't know. It's true. It is in here. There's this line in the Bible that I really love because it's so descriptive. Toiling under the sun. Familiar with that passage? If you got a Bible and you want to open your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a big word. I don't know what it means. Ecclesiastes, it's right after Proverbs. It's written by this man named Solomon who was supposed to be very, very wise. And he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. And it can, it's like if Eeyore had a book of the Bible, this is Eeyore's book, okay? Because it says things like this. It's like, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. Nothing but toil under the sun. And here's, I'm going to read this like Eeyore, okay? Eeyore, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 22 to 20, 23. I'm going to try to do this in my Eeyore voice. Here we go. What has a man from all of his toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. I don't think Eeyore ever said vexation. I'm not sure anybody ever said that word. But there it is. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. It's meaningless. That's the word vanity means. It's meaningless. That that our life is just this toil and striving in our hearts and in our lives and in the soil and in our work and in our marriages. And it's all underneath this beating hot sun. It's the image of working in your garden in the month of August. How many of you have done that in Pullman? Pullman gardeners, you're crazy people. The first year that we planted a garden in Pullman, we planted it in April or May. We had no idea. It snowed June 3rd. Like, we planted it three times, and then we got around to August. Like, it started growing. Like, oh, look, everything grows really fast. This is amazing. And then it hit, like, end of July and August, and then suddenly the ground was concrete, and you couldn't pull anything out, and it was just sweltering hot, and there's bugs and dirt and dust storms. And, like, how is anything ever supposed to grow here? That's toiling under the sun. You guys get that? You ever feel that way? Like, Man, sometimes marriage feels like toiling under the sun. Don't look at your spouse and say that, okay? Just look at you and say it's all roses, right? It's all good. Sometimes in your work, you ever felt like in your work, you're like at the office, you're at the job site, and you're like, ugh, toiling under the sun. It's so descriptive. I was re- think, reading this passage and I thought to myself, you know what I want? I want more sun, less toil. How many of you are there? More sun, less toil. Anybody? Okay. That's like a half-hearted, I'm processing that. I'm thinking about it. Think about it for a second. More sun, less toil. How many does that sound good to? Hands up. Hands up. More sun, less toil. That's right. We want vacation. That's what that is, right? It's vacation. It is life at the beach with your feet kicked up, a cold drink in hand, an umbrella, cool breeze, seagulls flying by, not pooping on you. uh, They're elsewhere. And and you're just enjoying life, life, life abundantly, life peacefully, life without conflict and pain. More sun, less toil. That's what I want. But the truth is that life is sometimes tough. I mean, if we're honest, right? Sometimes life is hard. Most of us want to have more fun. I've heard this said many times, and I have said it myself. I said it to Heidi just yesterday. I'm trying to be more fun, so I'm going to do something fun today. And then I did. I want more fun in my life. But it seems like having fun as a 45-year-old is not as easy as it was as a 15-year-old. Anybody else have experienced that? Some of you are like, I'm not 45. You're old. As you get older, it sometimes seems like it's harder to have fun. It feels somehow like like it's wrong, like I'm too busy. I've got too many things to do. My importance is all wrapped up in accomplishing and building my bank account and getting things done, looking serious, having the right clothes, having the right facial expressions at the right time. People will think I'm silly if I'm having fun all the time. It feels wrong because we're told that to be an adult is to be serious. Some of us feel like having having fun is all wrong because of bad theology, too. Now, what I mean by that is it's a practical theology. Not necessarily you've gone to the Bible and said, oh, look, to be a Christian is to be the most boring, sad, prudish person in the entire planet. Therefore, I'm going to work on being boring, serious, and prudish if I can. And I will do the best I can, and I will do this unto the Lord. Most of us don't verbalize that. If you have, I'm sorry. We're really going to have to work on this today. But most of us have a... Bad practical theology when it comes to fun, or no theology when it comes to fun. And we think, okay, I'm at church and I'm here to worship God, and God is in His holy heaven, so let the whole earth be silent. God is on the throne, and I am not, and so I need to bow before His throne at all times and then walk in seriousness. And church is serious business. Church is not a place for laughter. Church is not a place for joy. It is a place for serious business before God because I'm a sinner and he is going to zap me at any second. It's bad theology. And I'll tell you why. We'll get to the actual, some of the scriptures that build a theology of fun. Having that attitude, whether in your work life, your private life, your church life, your faith, your theology, that is toil. Under the sun. It is where we go back to Genesis chapter 3 and we've fallen in the garden and we've sinned, and God says, For all the days of your life you will bring forth fruit from the earth by the toil of your hands and the sweat of your brow. Women will be saved in childbirth. That means it's going to be really painful for you. It's serious business. But science actually proves that we need fun. It improves our relationships. It pr- improves our work relationships. It improves our life relationships. Fun, actually, get this, if this isn't the reason enough for you to have more fun, it will make you smarter. It will. Having more fun will make you smarter. For all of you people who think I'm silly, I'm really just very, very smart. It improves your memory. That hasn't proven to be true for me. It improves your concentration. I've seen that a little bit. It fosters learning. Get this. Fun reduces your stress. Laughter is the best medicine. A merry heart does good like a medicine. That's in the book of Proverbs. It also balances your hormone levels, especially in physical play. When we're out kicking a soccer ball, throwing a baseball, wrestling with your friends, wrestling with your spouse. I'll leave that there. Physical play reduces your hormone levels. But get this. Stress and worry and striving and toil, it also produces hormones in your body. And the primary hormone that's produced in your body when you're stressed out is called cortisol. And cortisol... In high doses, which many Americans are having daily, high dose because they're stressed out, they've procrastinated, they've waited too long, and now they're rushing to get things done. They're worried about their finances. They're getting this cortisol soaking into their brain. Cortisol is known to the state of California as a carcinogen. Your body produces a cancerous substance when you are stressed out. So fun actually reduces your risk of cancer. Fun gives you more energy, youthfulness, and life. Fun makes life more fun, right? That's all science, but you're not here to hear about science. You're here to hear about Jesus. You're here to hear from God. You're here to learn and grow and to hear what God might have to say about this subject that doesn't actually seem to be in the Bible, especially the word fun. And I will tell you this, if you go to search the word fun, you will not find it in the Bible it is one of very few greek and hebrew words not found in the bible the word fun is not there but it is in the second part of this verse in ecclesiastes just not the word fun ecclesiastes 2 goes on to say this not in any or voice it says this there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil this also i saw is from the hand of God for apart from him who could eat or who can have any enjoyment at all? you guys follow this? So the first half of it saying Eeyore's going it's just toil under the sun and then you have this writer come back and he says so guess what life is going to be hard sometimes life involves work we want to produce from the toil of our and the, the toil of our hands and the sweat of our brow so we should take enjoyment in it. Because that's from God. It's a gift to us, and he makes it so that we can enjoy it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I, I just pray right now that your spirit of joy would wash over us, that your spirit of celebration and goodness would come to us in this moment, that we wouldn't be caught up in our stress, we wouldn't be worried about our neighbor, we wouldn't be worried about our bills, but that we would be caught up into your presence in this moment and receive your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So this sermon isn't directly about having fun, even though that's where I started. And I hope it is fun, and life should be fun. You should be able to have some fun in life. But this sermon really is a sermon on the spiritual discipline of enjoyment and celebration. Let me say that again. This sermon is on the spiritual discipline of enjoyment and celebration. It is a discipline, because life is sometimes hard. It's something that we have to choose to do. Many of us struggle with things like depression and anxiety i'm with you in this and in those times of depression and anxiety we have to choose to do something different not to sit and wallow in those things but to choose to discipline ourselves to start to think and act differently and so this is a spiritual discipline for christians enjoyment and celebration isn't just mindless fun it's not just going down to the play, play a game of pool or an arcade game where you just kind of, you know, and you're playing Nintendo for hours and your thumb gets that one weird callus on it. It's not mindless uh, separation from the world. It's serious, serious business. Isn't that an oxymoron? Fun is serious business. It's worship. It's how we were designed to live and to walk through life. And when we live in this way, we're giving glory to God. It's spiritual warfare. When the enemy comes against us and says that you are this, that, or the other thing, and you should just give up and crawl under a rock someplace, it's to say, no, I have been saved by Jesus. I have been set free. I have been made whole. I have been given life. Therefore, I crawl out from under the rock and I dance. It's spiritual warfare. Celebration and enjoyment is an expression of the joy of the Lord in our lives. That's what the Word says. We're going to come to this passage a little bit later from the book of Psalms. The joy of the Lord is my strength. His joy is my strength. And so my expression of that joy is enjoyment of life and celebration of God. It's having fun together with God's people. Richard Foster, who is a just a brilliant theologian and writer, you can read his book stuff, he's got this horribly titled book called The celebration of disciplines it's just a terrible like it's and it's huge and it's like you look at that and you go that doesn't look like any fun at all and yet it is it talks about all the different spiritual disciplines that we can engage in to grow our relationship with God to become more like him it, but he says this about celebration he says that celebration and enjoyment are central to all the spiritual disciplines without joyful spirit without a joyful spirit of festivity The disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools of modern-day Pharisees. You guys get that? Without joy and celebration, prayer becomes a lifeless thing. Without joy and celebration, worship is dead. Without joy and celebration, other spiritual disciplines, the daily office, silence and stillness, all of these things become tools of control of people and not the discipline that grows the spirit. We have to learn to be joyful and to celebrate in the presence of God. We have to. And here's the thing. God has always been into enjoyment and celebration. It's his jam. I'll say that again because you chuckled slowly. This is God's jam. Enjoyment and celebration is what God loves. He created the world and he said, it is good. We read it. And God created the world in seven days and said, it is good. God's going, no, this is good. He gets excited about this thing. And he doesn't, he changes his language up, which is big in Hebrew. He adds a whole word to it. This is very good. He starts right in the very beginning and he said, It's so good, I'm taking a day off. I'm God, and I'm taking a day off to relax, to celebrate, and to enjoy my creation. And then he creates people and he says, This is very good. And you guys, can work six days but on that seventh day guess what you're taking a day off with me to celebrate to enjoy and to delight in what i made it's his jam god loves to celebrate every time god did something big for the people of israel every time he literally commands a feast now in the united states we command a holiday tomorrow is president's day we thought, hey, we got these presidential guys from back in the day that they were pretty great. We got to have a day off to remember them. And so what we do is we put on an American flag on a clothing item someplace, and we take a day off, and we don't do anything. And most of us don't even think about the presidents. But God, <laughs> He did something radically different. He's like, hey, I did something good here. You know what I want you to do? I don't want you to take a day off. I want you to have a feast. They're called feast days. Does like having a feast sound like it's like Thanksgiving? right? It's a day where you have ungodly amounts of food, right? Ungodly amounts of drink, ungodly amounts of celebration, and yet it's entirely godly because it's commanded by God. And he gives us these feast days. There's 14, if you look today, there's 14 different Jewish feast days throughout the year. I don't know how Jewish people get anything done, because their feasts often last two to four days. They're just constantly, why aren't they all really, really fat, I don't know. They celebrate all the time. Here's some of them. The uh, The feasts of Passover. You guys remember the story of Passover in the Old Testament? The angel of death passed over the people and they were saved. So they celebrate the feast of Passover. The feast of first fruits. When they had all of their crops and God provided for them, he said, hey, the first things that come out of there, let's have a party with that. That's a sacrifice to me. And it's really funny. God commands a sacrifice. He's like, you're going to sacrifice that to me. In a lot of cultures, they'd sacrifice it, and they'd burn it up, and they'd all stare at it, starving. But God says, it's a sacrifice to me. Let's have a party together. I provided the food. I provided the drink, first fruits. Uh, Let's see, what else? Pentecost. The Feast of Booths. His feast of booths is another great one. You know how they celebrate that? And that's a celebration of when they were taken out of Israel or out of Egypt, and they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, and they were living in tents, and then they go into the land, and he says, "Hey, so that you remember where you came from, every year, put a tent on the roof of your house and sleep in it for a week. It's a camp out, and we're going to eat and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to drink food, and we're going to remember where you came from, Hanukkah. It's another one we celebrate They celebrate right up against Christmas. There's just, like I said, 14 different ones. Jewish people have created unique, festive traditions shaped around God's commandment to remember. We celebrate to remember. We enjoy what God has given us to remember that it is from him, to remember that he did the work, to remember that he came through, to remember that he is good because sometimes life does not seem like he is coming through or he is good. Sometimes it feels like he is not good, that he is against me. And yet when we remember our past, remember the lions and the bears? Remember this sermon from a few, like a month ago? We look back like David, the lion and the bear came against me, and I went against them, and I killed the lion and the bear. And so this thing shall be like them. We remember and we celebrate. It's joy. I'm running out of breath, guys. God's people... In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, were always celebrating something. Their whole life was formed around remembering what God did. It wasn't formed around their seven-day work week. It wasn't formed around their degree program. It wasn't formed around their family soccer schedule. And those things are brutal, it's those family soccer schedules, let me tell you. It's formed around God's goodness and remembering that he provided for them and celebrating and enjoying what he gave them. It was fun. There was joy, there was laughter, there was good food, there was good wine. They celebrated all the time, whether it was the completion of a wall, which is the Feast of Purim. The Jewish people were always celebrating. And so when I think about how people encountered the Jewish people of the Old Testament, always celebrating what God did, you know, you showed up into town, there's a feast day. Wow, what's this feast day about? And they're hearing the stories of God's goodness. I think about that and I think, well, how do people encounter the church today? If you and I are the only thing anybody sees of Jesus, what does that say about us? How do they encounter us in our joy? How do they encounter us in our life day to day? How do they encounter us in our peacefulness? How do they encounter us in our fun? Does your life say that Jesus is fun? That's an interesting question, Pastor Jamie. I've never considered that before. Neither had I. But when I think about it, Jesus was an extremely fun person. Now you read the New Testament again, and if we read it with this tone of Eeyore, it will always sound like Jesus was a pretty serious person. But I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus' very first miracle. Anybody tell me what it is? Not my wife? It was a mumble, but they got it. They turned water into wine. He took ordinary water and turned it into wine, and the party was already going for several days. This was a Jewish wedding. So like I talked about, you know, all these festivals. Then they throw weddings in there. I still don't know how they got anything done. So they had a, they had weddings, and they had gone on for three days, and they drank all the wine, and they had no more. They started with the good stuff, and they would worked their way down to the bad stuff. And then Jesus turns water into wine, and the guy who is really drunk takes it and drinks a little bit, it, and he says, Why would you save the good stuff for last? Jesus did this, his first miracle. He made the good stuff, top shelf. But it goes on. It's not just turning water into wine. Jesus was regularly invited to parties with tax collectors, who were lechers, with prostitutes, and sinners in general. They were always inviting him to parties. They felt comfortable. People don't invite pastors to parties. Jesus got invited to the party. He was fun. He was, you didn't experience shame. You didn't experience judgment out of his mouth. You experienced him as a joyful individual. Even children found him fun. Children, there's instances in the scriptures where children are coming and wanting to sit in his lap. Children can, children like, they are little mind readers. They can see right through you. If you're not a safe person, a child will know it within a second. If you're an upset or angry person, they will turn and run. There's a few of them that get a little mixed up occasionally, but by and large, children can tell who you really are, and children wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to hang out with him. He was fun. In the new family of Jesus, with Jesus as our model and God as our father, it's not just conflict that we do differently. It's joy. It's celebration. It's life. It's delight. We need to learn how to do this, folks. We got to learn how to do this. A lot of Christians come to worship, and and I'm not going to point any fingers here, but our church is right up there with the rest of them. Sometimes you guys look like you're in deep pain when you show up to church. Don't nobody talk to me. And yet you love Jesus, and Jesus is saying to you be free, enjoy life, enjoy the family of Jesus, come and celebrate me in Nehemiah when they finished the wall God didn't command anything it was just so natural to them to celebrate what they had done to celebrate what God had done that Nehemiah himself commands a feast and this is what he says about it he says this is a sacred day before our Lord don't be dejected don't be sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength come to church and remember what God has done come to church and remember what you did this week and that God has given you that power and the ability to move through life in the way that he has and celebrate it in joy. Get your hands out of your pockets. Lift up your eyes. Put a smile on your face. Sing. In the book of Romans, Paul said this, and this is actually the last sermon, this sermon, and the next sermon. is all right here in this one verse. Romans chapter 14, verse 7. Paul says this. He says, that The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of peace in the Holy Spirit. That's doing conflict differently, right? It's true peace, not false peace. It's a matter of joy, not sorrow, not sadness, not brokenness, not depression and anger and anxiety. These things happen in life, and I'm not denying that they do, but it's coming before the Lord with joy anyway. And then next week, we're going to talk about righteousness. You guys are like, this is the fun one. I'll stick for this one. Next week I'm skipping. The kingdom of God, the new family of Jesus, is about righteousness and peace and joy. And these are things to desire and deeply. God has invited us into them. And so we have to discipline ourselves to participate in them. Uh, this guy, I can't even hardly pronounce his name. you Anybody heard of the band Ridden Collective? Three people. All right. Wren Collective, cool Irish Christian band. Uh, they live in it. They're like hippies that live in a commune. They're kind of weird. Uh, but they're really smart, and they write really good music. And uh, one of their their writers, Gareth Gillickson, because that's very Irish, Gareth. Gareth Gillickson. He says this. Joy is a spiritual discipline. We as pe- a people are much more inclined to negativity and cynicism. Anybody say amen to that? I'm like. That's where I start. That's my jam. God's jam is joy and celebration. My jam is negativity and cynicism. I'm working on it. He says, we don't find it easy or natural to pursue joy. And that's why God in his word actually commanded us to celebrate. All the biblical commandments to celebrate a feast, this is why God did it. We come by a gospel worth celebrating. Good news. God wants you to love life. We come by a gospel worth celebrating. Before a king who celebrates, we need to get down to the serious business of joy. We must wrestle with our blessing, and we must fight for our joy. Come on, church, let's fight for some joy. Here's the thing. God knows that the best way for you to fall in love, we are going to talk about marriage for just a half a second, but God knows the best way for you to fall in love and to stay in love is to have fun with your spouse. And you know what else he knows? He knows that the best way for you to fall in love with him and to stay in love with him is to have fun with him, to celebrate and enjoy his presence. Fun is important to our relationships. No one has ever, ever fallen in love with somebody having a bad time and being bored. Just saying. And then a couple of you are going, well, wait a minute. I'm not sure that's true. I married this person. I'm serious. I mean, When you were dating, you were having a good time. You thought, I like this person. They're fun. They make me laugh. I enjoy my life when I'm with them. This is a person I could see spending the rest of my life with. If you want to stay with your spouse for the rest of your life, have fun with her. Do something fun. Do something unique and new. If you want to stay in love with Jesus for the rest of your life, I don't think the serious, somber thing is going to work for you forever. God is inviting you to celebrate and to take pleasure in and to enjoy him forever. If you want to stay in love with Jesus for the rest of your life, have fun with him. If you want to love your church community, if you want to love being a part of this place, have fun with us. Last night, 21 people showed up to play on the backspace and see my wife and I pulling tissues out of the box as fast as we could while she hip-checked me. She was hip-checking me, cheating. (laughs) Nobody saw anything else. We had fun together, and we felt connected when we got home. I felt connected. I can't say we. I'll speak for myself, from the I. I felt more connected to my wife when I got home. Having fun with all of you. Fun pulls us together. So how are we going to do this? First of all, celebrate with God. You want to fall in love with God? Celebrate with God. That passage in Ecclesiastes, I'll read it to you again. He said, This I saw also is from the hand of God. For apart from him who could eat or drink or play or have anything good at all and then be able to enjoy it. God makes it so that we can enjoy what he has given us. The Westminster Short Catechism. <laughs> That's a whole oh, Westminster Short Catechism. Sounds so amazing. It's this thing that people use to disciple Christians back in the day, and it's the short version, not the long version. So, like, this is four square version. We're like, we like short. It's good. Let's have short, not like this sermon. And so there's this, what they do is they ask you questions, and you answer, and you have a biblical answer, and you learn from the Bible how to answer that question. And here's the question. What is the chief end of man? Like, where is all this going, right, Ron? Where is this all going to end up? How is this going to stop in the end? And here is the answer to this. It's not just, I'm going to get my butt out of heaven and go or, uh, hell and go to heaven. Okay, a lot of people are like, hell sounds like a lot more fun than heaven. I don't, I don't get that. Here's the chief end of man. That you would know God and enjoy him forever. Not that you would know God and serve him forever. Not that you would know God and give him everything forever. Not that you would know God and sacrifice and never be happy a day in your life forever that you would know God and enjoy him forever. The book of Job. Okay, this guy, if anybody, had any reason to feel bad about his life, right? Job. He lost everything in a natural disaster. All of his children, all of his wealth, everything. Job. He is Eeyore. Or should be. He has every right to be Eeyore. And they got this guy, his friend came to him, and he he said to him, you just need to, to quit this, Job. You need to... You need to to stop whatever it is you're doing because clearly you're sinning against God. Because if God, if you hadn't sinned against God, then God would be different toward you. And God actually rebukes this man. He says, that's not the way this works. That's not the way this works. And it's just this line that the man said that was actually true. Have you ever, you ever encountered like a lie that had a half-truth in it? And this half-truth is so important and I want to read it to you. It's from Job chapter 22. He said, first he says, you need to stop because you're sinning. Against God, clearly you have done something wrong to bring this upon yourself. All of this calamity. And he says this, if you laid gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, that means throw all your gold in the river, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. God will be your gold. When we lose everything, when we have no reason for joy, when we have no reason to celebrate, God is your gold. God is your precious silver. And in those things, you can delight. You can take joy. You can celebrate. They're not the things that distract us like money, wealth, power. They're not the things that take our attention away from God or our families. They're the very things that enable us to focus on our families and to give our very best selves to other people and to serve God with all of our heart and to love him with all that we have. When he is our treasure, we can celebrate in freedom. Now, a lot of you are coming from the other perspective. You're like, okay, well, God wants me to celebrate in him, but I don't think he likes me very much. Can I just tell you, God takes pleasure in you? One of the things that the Bible says that God celebrates is people, is human beings. And it's not just the clean ones. He's not just celebrating the priests, and he's not just celebrating the pastors. He is celebrating the broken people. He's celebrating and and, and He's celebrating with the prostitutes. He's celebrating with the tax collectors. God takes pleasure in you. He loves you. It doesn't matter if you're 14 or 58. It doesn't matter if you've done it all wrong or you've done it all right. God celebrates you, and he invites you just the same. David got this, a man after his own God's own heart, a man who understood what it was to celebrate. So David builds a a place in Jerusalem in, in God's what becomes God's holy city to put the ark of the covenant. And when he's bringing the ark of the covenant, the king takes off all of his clothes and dances in the streets in front of the ark, celebrating God's goodness and provision that God's presence was is, is with him. It's just like, "Woohoo!" He's cheers. Somebody else has got to say cheers. This is God. This is, this is the God of the angel armies that's accompanying him, and he is dancing and celebrating before the Lord. He's not walking in somberness, and like somebody's going to whip him or beat him at any moment. He's dancing and celebrating. And then you read the book of Psalms. It's a long book. It's a great book. But listen to this. There's all kinds of stuff. This is what David and the other, uh, the other worship leaders of his day, this is what they had to say. In your presence, God's presence, is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Not like sadness and sorrow and depression. Psalm one That's from Psalm 16. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be be glad. I'll enjoy it. Psalm 118. Psalm 27 says this. Offer sacrifices to God with shouts of joy. Give your offering. You're writing that check. You're like, oh, i got to make sure I got this right. He's like, no, just write the dang check and celebrate. Has God provided for you so that you can provide for the church? Yes, the bills are paid. Celebrate with joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Some people like, I don't sing. Guys, we all sing. All of us. Some of us sing not so beautifully as other people, but that's fine. Sing to the Lord, shout and be glad. This is what psalms call us to do. In Psalm 23, there is this other great one. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. God is providing a feast in the midst of your depression. God is providing a turkey right in front of anxiety. God is providing joy in the midst of sorrow and sadness and grief and in loss. There is a celebration to be had in the midst of the pain. Without joy and celebration in our relationship with God, it just becomes transactional. My offering for his body. My showing up, my attendance to church. For entrance to heaven. And that is not faith. And that is not Christian teaching. And that is bad theology. Celebration and joy. Celebrate and enjoy God. Worship Him fully. When we sing songs, sing out like just belt that sucker. Nobody's gonna care. In fact, you might even prompt joy in somebody else, you might encourage somebody's heart. Lift your hands. Raise your voice. Worship God fully. Celebrate. Let yourself go. Spend time with God. Take him for a walk. Heidi does this all the time. She gets up in the morning. She goes, I'm going to go for a run today. And I know she walks out the door and says, Jesus, you want to go for a run with me? And Jesus is like, you know, I don't really like running, but I'll come with you. (laughs) Thank God he's God, right? He doesn't have to worry about getting in shape. Lucky him. (laughs) Obey. Obey fully. When God calls you to something, obey with joy. Celebrate your sacrifice. Secondly, celebrate and enjoy your community. Matthew 18, chapter chapter eighteen twenty. Jesus says this. It's just this little line. You're all going to know it. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. Jesus is with people when they gather in twos or threes in his name. Now, when you got married, if you are married, You went from one to two, and if you did that in his name, there he is also. If you go on a date with your two, and you go in his name, there he is also. If you are not married, and you hang out with your pals, we're going to go to a movie. There's three of us, and we go in his name, Jesus just came with you. Jesus is with you in all of these things. Enjoy your community in his name. Enjoy your relationships in his name. When you hang out with other believers at church or outside of church and you do it in his name, he is there. In his presence is fullness of joy. So when Jesus shows up, when in groups of two or three, guess who else is coming to town? Joy. Happiness. Laughter. Light-heartedness. Invite God into your fun. Have you ever thought about that? We often th- separate, right? God's at church. Fun's at the mall. God's at church, funds at the game shop. God's at church, funds at the movie theater. God's at church, funds at the pub, right? Invite God into your fun because he made it for you. Every day is a feast day. Every day that every feast that was commanded by God was for all the people, not just for one or two. Every feast day was not just for a happy elect for the priests and leaders. It was for all the people. And for some of those people, it was for times when they were not feeling good, when they were depressed or sad or had lost everything. And yet they're called to celebrate with God's people. We as a church are preparing for a wedding feast someday, a great wedding feast where we all get together with God and we celebrate everything that he has ever done and that he has saved us. Celebration and enjoyment will be what we do for eternity so my question to you is, how are you practicing now? Will you know how to do it when you get to heaven? Can you imagine that? Across the pearly gates, there's a giant, there's a giant table. Pearly gates, I don't even know where that comes from, but we're just using the metaphor. So this is like this pearly gate saying, you get into heaven, Peter, whatever, there's a cat at the door, he can't come in. And you're in, and all the people are there, and there's like this huge long table, and, and Jesus is just like, tuck in, dude. Will you know how to have fun in that moment? Will you know how to have fun in that moment? Celebrating and having fun with your community, is about remembering with joy the provision of God. So do it at all times. Potlucks, parties, worship, coffee, games, do life together. Have fun. Have fun. This church should be marked by having fun. Lastly, and quickly, if you're married celebrate and enjoy your two side-by-side and face-to-face, side-by-side and face-to-face. Ecclesiastes goes on to say this, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Now Solomon had a lot of wives, so he had to pick one. Thank God we don't have to do that today, right? Just one. (laughs) Celebrate and enjoy life with the wife that you love. And then he says this, all the days of your life. All the days of the life that God has given you under this sun. Because this is your portion in life. And your toil at which you toil under the sun. Enjoy your life with your wife. That rhymes so nicely. More sun and less toil in our marriages. We need more sun and less toil in our church. We need more sun and less less toil in our relationships. More sun and less toil in our marriages. Without delight and celebration and fun in your relationship with your spouse. Your relationship just like with God. Becomes transactional. I make you dinner, you pay the bills, right? You take the kids to school, you make sure that they have a stable home. It's just transactional. But it, life can be so much more. Marriage can be so much more. And a lot of us are thinking, "Well, I don't have time. I don't have time. I, I've got so much to do. I don't have time to to spend and have fun with my to date." You know what? You don't have time not to. If you don't do this, you will wind up not having a spouse. It's true. Fun is not a luxury in any relationship, married or otherwise. It is not something you have time to not do. Delight in each other face-to-face. Date. Talk. You remember when you were dating? You remember when you were first dating your wife? Heidi and I, we would sit in my Ford Explorer in her driveway and talk until like 2 o'clock in the morning. I can't stay up to 2 o'clock in the morning for anything now. Nothing. I mean, like fourth—what like, is it? Not fourth. It like New Year's Eve, like waiting for fireworks till midnight. What are you even talking about? You know, like. But when we were dating, we had so much fun together, and there was so much passion in that moment. and We, we just couldn't bear to be apart. That's what we got to get back into our marriages. It's what we need to get into our lives to enjoy time with one another, to delight in each other, and that's not taking time to go on a date and sit there on your cell phone. Because this is not face-to-face, okay? It's not watching television. It's not a sporting event for your kids. You go to a basketball game, it's really difficult to connect with your spouse at a basketball game, thump, 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 and kids screaming, and it just, it's impossible. That's not face-to-face. Get face-to-face with your spouse, with your two. Enjoy life with them. Delight in each other. Side-by-side, your spouse should be your best friend, should be your partner and your cheerleader. Because life sucks sometimes, doesn't it? Life is hard sometimes. And sometimes you just need somebody to say, I'm with you. I love you. We're going to get through this together. I'm going to walk, you know, I know this is hard for you. But we're going to walk through this together. I mean, em and I were talking about something the other day. And we were just like, both of us, like, this world is dying for a word of encouragement. And yet, wh- there's all these people in this world that are married, right? All these people in this world that are married that could be encouraging one another. Lifting each other up and enjoying life. sometimes life is a battle, and our number two can be our biggest uh, our biggest cheerleader. And they're also saint makers. If you guys remember from last week, right? Conflict is a saint maker. Our enemies are a saint maker. our spouses are a saint maker because there's nobody in this world is going to chip off your rough edges like your number two. Connect. Get into each other's world. Go grocery shopping together. Go golfing together. Fish together. I don't care. Share what you like doing face-to-face, side-by-side. Singles, do this with somebody else. Give attention, give attention and devotion to one another. Be a cheerleader to somebody. Be a saint-maker to somebody. Be a good friend. How's your fun doing, church? That's my question for you this morning. How's your fun doing? Are you having fun? Are you enjoying life that God has given you under the sun? Are you celebrating or are you too busy? Are you too self-focused, too concerned with the concerns and worries of this world? You're struggling inside with depression, anxiety, fear, brokenness. You're all so bound up, you just feel like, I I can't have fun. I can't be fun. God wants something different for you. That is the good news, right? So good. God wants you to have a life of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. God wants you to be in his presence all the time. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When you're weak, when you feel like you're under it, when you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling lost, Be in God's presence, because his joy will be your strength. It will carry you. And it sounds absolutely impossible. I mean, that's like a lot of what I preach, right? It sounds stupid impossible. That never happens, Pastor Jamie. But let me tell you, as a person who struggles with depression and anxiety, it's true. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And his presence is fullness of joy. Joy transcends happy. Joy goes beyond happy. And we can have fun in the midst of it. So a question to consider this morning. I want to invite you into the discipline of celebration and enjoyment. So here's the question for you today to ponder for a minute while the worship team comes up. And we're going to close with a song of celebration. Here's the What is one thing, one thing that you can do this week in the name of Jesus to enjoy the life God has given you under the sun. Boy, when was the last time you were given something like that at church, right? How can I have fun in the name of Jesus this week? I'm going to give you a minute. let like, like, let the Holy Spirit speak to you, and then we're going to sing a song, and we're going to go home. All right? So we'll give you one minute of silence as you ponder what's one thing you can do to enjoy life in the name of Jesus.